your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to speak to you tonight about a topic that I think is just so relevant for the times that we're living in and for what I think a lot of people are going through today because of the condition that our world is in, our economy and just the whole state of the, of the world. Trusting in God in times of affliction. Now, your affliction could be a loss of job, a pending loss of job. Many folks, I know where I, where I pastor, you know, are needing work. They just can't find work. And again, because of the economy and the jobs and your affliction could be cancer. It can be a pending illness, uh, your pending test results. And you're, you know, you just don't know what to expect. It could be a you know, a, a lost child, a runaway child. You, you've lost a loved one, um, you know, in, the, in recently. And so your afflictions could be great and they can be many. I started reading a book last October, and I'll share with you as we go along what prompted me to read the book. It was called Affliction by Edith Schaefer. This is how she defined affliction. An affliction can be physical, psychological, material, emotional, intellectual, or cultural. An affliction can be having too much or too little, having too many demands on one or no feeling of being needed. An affliction can be a sudden shock or a daily constant dragging on with no change. An affliction can be planned by some human being who wants to do us harm or can apparently come with no explanation at all. An affliction could be that which turns our whole lives upside down and changes the course of our lives so completely that we find ourselves in another location, another house, even another country, or it can be seemingly so small and insignificant that we might feel that no one else would define it as trouble at all. Is there such thing as a Christian tragedy? You can think about it for a few seconds. Is there such a thing as a Christian tragedy? A man in college took a course in world literature and it always contained a, on his final examination, this question. Is it possible to have a Christian tragedy? And the, Christ, the question was designed to test the understanding as well as the knowledge of the student. Like most good questions do. You see Jesus many times in the gospel asking questions. It was to get us to think. It was to get us to reason and, and to look at the things that he was talking about. So uh, only perceptive students, though, answered in the final analysis, a Christian tragedy is impossible. Here's why. Because the essential Christian presuppositions, that is what we believe about God and his word, what we believe of a sovereign but compassionate God ultimately override the tragic elements. So there is no tragedy in the life of a Christian. And I hope as we go along, we're going to understand that it just shows how God is in control of everything. Whatever you're going through tonight isn't accidental. It isn't a mistake. It isn't just a stroke of bad luck or the stars not being aligned or however you want to look at it. God has allowed it, arranged it or designed it for some greater purpose in your life than you can even think or be aware of. And when we understand that, when those times come, don't let yourself become a victim. Understand you're a victor. Become a student of your situation. Don't let it beat you down. Don't let the enemy lie to you. And especially about God. 
Think about it. The life of Christ was promising. Yet he was rejected by his own people. He was arrested. He was unfairly tried. He was beaten. He was whipped within an inch of his life. He was brutally nailed to the cross. And he suffered like no man has ever suffered. And he was buried. Accident? Or Jesus? Bad luck? No. It was done all. It happened all under God's watchful eye. It was predetermined before the world was created that this was going to happen. This wasn't plan B. It was plan A. It's exactly what God said would happen. Everything that happened to Jesus wasn't a meaningless mistake. It wasn't a tragedy. It was the ordering of events by God. And these events weren't only to be surely fulfilled, but also a great blessing. That's the other thing we need to understand about the afflictions in their life. They are meant to be blessings as we wait through them and get through them. They will become blessings. Not for Jesus himself, but his followers too. The cross was not just a, uh, a blessing for Jesus himself. Because remember he said, you know, it was the cross. It was what was before him that he endured the cross. He wasn't looking at the cross. That's not what he was looking at and enjoying. It's what he saw after the cross. You see, it's what we go through. It's not what we go through and we go, oh, this is great and this is wonderful, but it's what I'm going to be and what Christ is going to make of me after I get through this. That's the blessing. That's what we're looking for. It's not a meaningless tragedy, if you will. God allows it. So that, that blessing wasn't just for Jesus, but his followers as well. We are going to suffer. We are going to have afflictions. We are going to experience dark days in our life. That's a given. In one form or another, we are going to experience afflictions. The thing is, how are you going to react? How are you going to react? Will you get bitter? Angry? Complain? Or will the days be days of victory? You see, how you react depends on what you think about God. One of Satan's favorite tactics is constantly getting you to challenge God's fairness and his love. First words out of our mouth. Why, God? God, if you really love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this happening in my life? Why have you done this? Now, keep in mind the conversation in heaven between God and Satan regarding Job. Job's down here on earth. He's just, you know, with his family and just, you know, got all things going for him. He loves God. He's wealthy. He's got a great family. Everything's wonderful. Job's up there and Satan's up there in heaven talking about Job. He has no idea what's getting ready to take place. Some of you tonight, even myself, could be the topic of conversation between the devil and God tonight. And next week, your life may change drastically. We read it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it taught. But you know, what? when it happens, it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like Peter said, don't think it's strange when some fiery trial comes upon you. It's a given. It's one of the promises that we don't care to think about in the Bible. It's not one of the most popular ones. It's not at the top of our list, but God promises it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. And so, you know, we need to, again, understand that and, and have it ingrained in our minds. And Satan takes advantage of the fact that we only have a, a, a limited view of life. We can't see tomorrow. 
And many times when God is working in our lives, he allows pain. He uses sorrow to teach us to get our attention. And he uses a change of circumstances. But you know what? They're all for a purpose. They're not random. God doesn't act capriciously or randomly and just, okay, I'm going to throw this on them and just see what happens. It's for the perfecting of our lives. You know what God is doing down here? He's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing us for heaven. But that preparation takes place down here. And the idea that when we become Christians and that we should never suffer and life should be a breeze, we should, you know, uh, prosper and it should be trouble free. That's not biblical. I mean, Jesus taught the opposite in this world. He said, you will have that's a given. Acts tells us, uh, uh, Saul said that that through many. Through many tribulations, we shall enter the kingdom of God. There's another wonderful promise. Christians often have disappointments. They often experience sorrows and pain and tears. Remember, it says that even Jesus wept. But understand, God is working in those painful and trying experiences in your life. Every tear, every drop of sweat, every drop of blood, every twinge of pain in the name of Jesus Christ is recorded by God. He knows. And it's not going to go unnoticed or unrewarded by the Lord. They're not in vain. He's working out his eternal purposes right here on earth. But here's one of the problems we have. One of the reasons that people are often frustrated with God is that they're always trying to figure him out or think they know how it's going to all turn out. Why? We have our lives planned out. We don't expect interruptions for God. We don't expect God to to change the direction of where I'm going. So we think we have it all planned out. And then all of the whys, all of the whys can torment our minds. Because we're trying to say, why God? How, why would you let the, what's the, what good is this? How, how is this going to work for, for my good? How's this going to make it better for me? We try to figure him out. Why? When he's already told us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. That's why you can't figure me out. Besides, I want a God that I can't figure out. I don't want him on the same level as me. Then he wouldn't be God. How many times has God not done something the way you thought he should? That's what he does best. He's always doing things differently than the way we think he should. And again, that's part of our problem. We try to second guess God. We think we know what he's planning to do. And a lot of the frustration that we have in life has nothing to do with what God does or what he doesn't do. It has everything to do with the wrong ideas that we have about how God's going to think or how God's going to do things. Isaiah says, for who has known the mind of God? Nobody. Who really knows what God is doing in our lives? This very moment. You see, if you're going through hard times right now, God's the only one who knows why. And you know what? That's all that really matters. He has your best interest in his heart. We don't know what God is planning to do for us. 
through the circumstances in our life or through the situation that you might be in right now. We don't know what, what blessing God is going to bring through it all, through the change in your life, through the situation or the circumstance in your life. But you know what? During the change, during the change, pay attention to God. Listen to God. Watch God. Why? He's working out his perfect plan in our lives. And from the life of Elijah in our study tonight, we can learn a lot. And we're going to walk with Elijah on this particular path. And we're going to see what he teaches us. In verse 16, the miracle of applying, uh, of multiplying of the meal and the oil continually daily. Uh, Elijah and the widow and her son were getting, you know, uh, they were getting along great. You know, God was blessing them and, and there was a famine all around them. But, but God was supplying the oil and, and you know, and, and all that they needed. And one day, though, their peace came to an end. Let's begin with chapter 17, verse 17. Now it happened. Boy, you know, that, that's what you can expect. It, it's going to happen. It says here, now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath in him. So this woman's son all of a sudden takes seriously ill. Verse 16, things are wonderful. You see, one moment you can be flying high. Life is wonderful. The next day, boom, now it happens. This great fiery trial, this affliction hits Elijah and the widow. There would be heartbreaking cries coming from this very distraught woman's home again. She's already lost her husband. Now she loses her only son. That is a heavy trial for sure. I can't think of one that could be any heavier. But the Bible has a lot, a lot to say about trials. And nothing will help us more than the Bible. God's word when it comes to trials, whatever it might be in your life. And this passage is a good example of how helpful the Bible is when it comes to trials. Trials can and should be expected at any place and time in your life. No age, no place, no circumstance or spiritual level will keep us from trials. They can happen at any time. But even knowing this, we're still shocked when it happens. We're shocked when the trials come. There are just some places in life we don't expect to see trials. Now, I'm up there and I'm, I'm, I'm 62. You know, and, and you think, at, you know, you start getting into that, that golden years, as they say. That, you know, okay, my wife and I, we're just going to cruise. You know, we're just going to now, you know, see our, our you know, our, the end of our life now, just enjoying each other and going places and, um, but, you know, God, God has different plans. Last October, here's for the reason that I began reading this book. Last October, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And even now, it's hard to just say what goes through your mind. You know, and so from the moment the doctor told us, it was like, you know, we were quiet in our thoughts and. Just thought, okay, and you know, and you know what happens? All the ifs of life begin to start flowing through your mind. If this, if that, what if? 
And, you know, she has the lumpectomy and the doctor thinks that uh, that's all that we're going to be. We need, we got it close. You know, we caught it uh, early and it's small. And so we won't probably need to go to the chemo or anything else. Well, I'll go in there and take out the lump and they find it in a vein. They find it in lymph nodes and they have to remove lymph nodes. And then they have to treat it aggressively with chemotherapy and radiation. So from that point on, the next, from October to just what, two months ago, just about then? May. You know, she went through chemotherapy and she went through six weeks of radiation that was just, you know, um, for those who know, I don't need to explain. And for those that don't, I couldn't explain anyway. But uh, we never expected it. We've been healthy as, as can be. Never really been in the hospital for anything. But, you know, it happens. And so, you know, you just, okay, Lord, you're, you're what I have. You're what I need. This is, this is you and me now. And so for Elijah and the widow, you know, it, it shows us that trials show up in these unexpected places. And we're going to look at some of those places where their trials showed up. And I pray that you will make, take some notes down because it's not a matter of, of, of if, you guys. It's when. It could be tomorrow, God forbid. It could be next week. It could be 10 years from now. But the best thing to do is to know this, to be prepared. And know that God is working in our lives. So first, the first place it showed up, it showed up when they were walking in obedience. Elijah and the widow were walking in obedience. They were living obedient lives. Now, before all of this happened in verses 8 through 16, both of them were severely tested about obeying the Lord. They passed those tests with flying colors. But even though they were obedient, they now experienced a, a huge trial and the sudden death of the widow's son. Now, here's the point. Normally, we think that if we're living right and we're, we're walking with God and we're doing everything right and, and we're in the will of God, we're not going to have afflictions. Because there are many who will teach you that. Oh, if you're having afflictions or you're sick, oh, you must be doing something wrong. You got sin in your life or something. If something's wrong with you, you don't have enough faith. Elijah and the widow were walking in faith. They were being obedient to God and they still experienced afflictions. Even when we follow God faithfully, we are not immune to trials. No one was more obedient than Jesus Christ and yet he suffered like nobody else has. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 19, many, there's one of these psalms you need to write down, you need to remember, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Doesn't say many are the afflictions of the wicked. Of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's the promise. You know, it's a twofold. Yeah, we're going to get afflictions, but you know what? My God's going to deliver me from it. Deliver them from all afflictions, not some. And some people get the idea, usually through wrong teaching, that if they live for God and they're obedient to his word, everything's going to be okay for their whole life. Maybe a piece of cake. Obedience won't keep us from having problems. Now, obedience will keep us from making wrong and harmful conclusions, coming to wrong and harmful conclusions and decisions when they do come. But obedience won't keep us from having trials. And we need to understand that the righteous do and are going to have trials. But trials aren't to hurt us. 
They're not meant to hurt us. They're not meant to do us harm. They're to do us good. And so the body of Christ needs to be encouraged to stay on the faithful path of obedience and don't do as the devil would tell you to do. Give up. Doubt God. Walk away. You know, I've been walking with you, Lord. I've been serving you. I've been reading. I've been doing everything that that I should be doing. and, and, And look what happens. And many people walk away from God. They give up. Doubt. Satan comes in and just hammers them. So understand, afflictions can come while you're walking in obedience. Secondly, trials come in the place of service. Elijah spent his whole life serving God. He was exactly where God told him to be. He was doing exactly what God told him to do. He was a faithful servant of God. So was the widow. Ever since Elijah got to Zarephath, the city that they were in, this widow had taken care of him. She provided room for him. She provided board for him. She worked hard for him. She even risked her life for him. But even though they were faithful and they were courageous and they faithfully and courageously served the Lord, it didn't stop Elijah or the widow from having a heartbreaking trial. The widow's son still died. Even though both of them were serving God in faithful obedience. So no one understand those serving faithfully are going to have afflictions. The devil will see to that. And I don't blame everything on the devil because he has to get God's permission. So I say, okay, God, you allow it. You see, the devil hates those who serve faithfully. Why do you think he picked on Job? God, the only reason that Job loves you and serves you is because look at everything you give him. Let me take it away and let's see how he how much he loves you. You see, when you serve God and will love God and walk with God, you're messing with, the, with, with Satan's plans. He doesn't like that. And he's going to try to make your life miserable. When you serve the Lord, you're going into battle. You're living in enemy territory in this earth. This, this, this earth is a battlefield, not a playground. But many times Christians romp through it like it's a playground. We are living in enemy territory. This is not our home. We need to understand that. This is Satan's ground. This is his territory. And so faithfully serving and being obedient, we are going to have afflictions. To experience trials, even though you're serving faithfully, should not surprise you when they come. That's what Peter said. Don't think it's strange. Don't get caught off guard. I would say be surprised if you don't have trials. Satan's not going to touch somebody who's not doing anything for God. Satan loves the mediocre Christian, one who's not working and serving or, or, or being effective for the kingdom of God. Satan has that person right where he wants him. Why should I bother him? He's doing what I want him to do, and I'm not even bothering him. Thirdly, trials come in the place of blessing. Every day, Elijah and the widow were being blessed by the multiplying of the meal and the oil. Famine was everywhere in the land. Famine was taking its toll on the land. But they, Elijah and the widow, they were doing well. They were doing fine. Why? Because of the great blessings of God upon them. And you see, sometimes when we're being blessed, we think trials are never going to come. 
We think everything is going to be okay. Listen to David's good advice. Psalm 30, verse 6 through 7. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, has made me as secure as a mountain. Listen to David's confidence. And I'm as strong as a mountain. Everything is wonderful. He says, then you turned away from me. And I was troubled. You see, blessings don't spare us from troubles. Elijah and the widow had been seeing a miracle happening for some time. That prepared them to face the huge trial that would require another miracle. So here's a, here's a question that we hear all the time. Is God mean? Is God cruel? Because he keeps allowing one trial after another in somebody's life. I've heard people say, what? what? When God's going to stop? This isn't fair. You know, I just had one trial after another. Is God cruel for doing that? No. No. Because when trials come again and again to the godly, it says a lot about their great character. About their great reverence to God. It doesn't mean that God has it in for you. It most likely says that you are very special to God. And you know what? When he makes us go through trials and tough times, he's preparing us for service that might take us through even harder times. But how is he going to you know, give us more responsibility if we're not faithful in the little things? Service is rigorous, man. It's tough. It's hard. Man, that's the best place he could be. Then trials bring confusion. Let's look at verses 18 through 20 now. Trials bring confusion. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Elijah, what have you done to me? You see, now they're trying to figure out whose fault is this? Human nature. The widow blames herself for her sin. She blames Elijah as the possible cause in verse 18. Elijah blames God according to verse 20. So all three are being blamed. The lady, Elijah, and God. They're all being blamed for the death of the woman's son. Isn't it sad that there's no room for godly speculation? Isn't that what we do when those things happen? It's about whose fault. What did I do? Where did I go wrong? Brothers say, okay, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Teach me, Lord, from this experience. We often pray, Lord, get me out of this. We should be praying, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? Remember, God does nothing randomly. He has got a divine purpose. That's the part problem we have. We have a limited view of life. We can't see the whole picture. He had no room for godly speculation as to what brought on this particular tribulation. You see, if we don't go to God right away for our answers... The pain of our trial can cause us to be very hurtful and bad-tempered and blame other people. Trials raise a lot of questions. 
But again, remember what Peter said. Beloved, do not think it strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange or alien thing has happened to you. First Peter 4.12. And, and trials may seem strange at times. But you know what? They're not strange to God. God isn't going, oops. How did that happen? Man, how did that get by me? He knows exactly what's taking place. If he hasn't designed it, arranged it, he's allowed it. Because he has good reasons for allowing them. That's why James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask in faith. And if that's, if that's not one of the times that we're lacking in wisdom, it's when we are going through a trial. There's confusion. God, help me to get my mind in order. Help me to, to get my mind right. I need your wisdom, Lord, to help me think this thing through. Help me to make the decisions that I need to make that they're right and they don't make things worse for me. God has reasons for every trial, and they're always good reasons. And we need to remember that truth, and we need to know it well, because it will help us to face our trials victoriously. Now, how should we behave in a trial? Because, boy, trials, trials can make us or break us. They really can. Trials show what we're made out of. Trials reveal our character. They don't create our character. It reveals what our character has been all along. They show who we really are. What we really think about God and how we deal with those things. It's an important question. Because you see, what we do in a time of trial has a lot to do with whether it makes us or breaks us. See here, the widow lashed out at Elijah. Elijah. People react in different ways. People go through trials and all of a sudden, God isn't enough. They start drinking. They do drugs. They leave their families. They, 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 you know, they just they go off. Because people react in different ways. They stay busy. They do all But it doesn't work. It only makes it worse. You can't run away from your problems, whether in church, home, work, family, whatever it is. You can't run away from them. And even though Elijah was upset by the trial, he knew what to do. Notice verse 20 says, he cried out to the Lord. Best advice in a trial. Cry out to the Lord. Elijah took the problem to the Lord in prayer. Man, that's the, one of the best things that you can do when trials come. And you know what? Sometimes it's all we can do. Because we know physically, this is, this is beyond me. The cancer with my wife. Our marriage in our early years, two years into marriage, we were, for all practical purposes, we were divorced. Separated for almost a year. It was done. And all I could do was pray. But man, it was powerful. Here we are, almost 38 years later. Prayer. She's cancer-free. Prayer. You know, and, and God teaches you those things through those difficult times. He raises you to another level on your way to heaven. And he continues to raise the bar in the Christian life. I read a book called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. 
great book by John Ortberg. I would encourage you to read it. But you know what? If you want to do great things for God, you got to get out of the boat. There were 12 disciples in the boat. One got out, Peter. The boat represents the comfort zone. Peter did something fantastic. We talk about it all the time, don't we? Don't hear much about the other 12 in the boat. Because it's what Peter did. Even though he began to sink. He experienced a great thing with God. But it would have never happened if he didn't get out of the boat. God wants to take us to the next level, but you know, we got to get out of the boat. we got to keep going. Don't let anything keep us down. And so, the widow lashed out at Elijah because of her reaction. Even though Elijah was upset by the trial, yet he knew what to do. He cried out to the Lord. He sought God in prayer. When trials hit us, we, be, we can become confused, upset. Our minds are messed up. Our bodies, our spirit is troubled. But Psalm, 140, uh, Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. One of my favorite verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we need to seek his help in prayer, in times of trouble. And when trials hit, again, we may become very confused and upset. But prayer sets us on the right path. If we'll tell our problems to the Lord, we'll get help. He's the best help that we can get. He'll clear up our thinking. He'll work mightily for us and he'll give us the victory in our trial. He tells us in Psalm 50, 15, he says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Call on me, I'll deliver you. The purpose, you glorify me. It's another reason for our trials. We watch what God does. He delivers us. We glorify God. We share it with others. Secondly, or again, the fruit of trials. The fruit of trials. No matter why they come, they can bring great blessings if we react to them in the right way. That's why James says, count it all joy. Not because you love being sick or in pain or suffering, but because God is at work in my life. God is with me in this. He never promised me smooth sailing. He promised me a safe landing. And that's what we need to remember. No matter why they come, he can bring great blessings if we react to them in the right way. And James says, count it all joy. Some blessings can only come through trials. They can only come through trials. You are to rejoice and count it all joy, James says, that God is testing you in this way. And the question is often asked whether the Christian is to experience joy in all the trials and pressures of life. The honest answer is no. It's not that we enjoy the, the, the pain. Uh, that's not what James is saying here. It leads to unreality to say, oh, you've submitted to the will of God when troubles come to you when, you're, when you really haven't. And people many times piously say they've accepted God's will. And yet they go around with this long face and they grumble half of the time. Here's the point. We really haven't submitted to the will of God until we can rejoice. And going through a trial, what my wife and I were talking about, isn't biting the bullet and just hanging on. It's rejoicing in the Lord. Because he's doing something in my life. 
He's shaping me. He's molding me. He's, he, he's, he's building up my character for the kingdom of God. James goes on to make it clear that, that God doesn't, doesn't do this randomly. God doesn't randomly give us trials or give us trouble. So when trials come, immediately give thanks to the Lord and take on a joyful attitude. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. Here's the thing. If we didn't have any trials, we would miss a lot of great blessings. But see, the carnal mind can't understand that. It won't value these blessings. All it sees is material. No spiritual. But you see, this trial brought great blessings to Elijah and the widow. Notice verse 22 now. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Man, at first glance, the trial seemed to bring death, but in the end, God's end. That's the thing you need to remember. It brought life. It brought life more abundantly. Trials often bring us back to life. It did that for my wife and I in our early years of Christianity when we were having our marital problems. It brought us back. It fired us up because we saw what God could do because we thought it was done. We knew that only God could do this. God could have put this marriage back together. And when he did, man, we just got rejuvenated and just were rejoicing. And God used it and still uses it. But you see, it would have never happened if he didn't allow us to go through that time, though it was very painful. But man, he used it for his glory. There was fruit that came out of it. Just like we see here. The boy lives again. He brought the boy to life and brought more abundant life. Trials bring us back to life. You see, many times we get stale, we get lazy, we get spiritually dull and, and die. Then God's, God sends a trial that drives us to our knees. It drives us into the word of God. And guess what happens? We get revived. We get revived. Our spiritual life is refreshed. It's renewed. We have a new life. We have a new energy that emerges from that. Trials bring joy. It's hard to imagine the great joy that must have come over this widow when Elijah brought her son back alive. Notice verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Can you imagine? Don't pretend or simply look at trials through the eyes. Uh, don't, don't pretend that everything is great. Look through trials through the eyes of faith. Outlook determines outcome. In other words, to end with joy, begin with joy. It takes a really strong faith to be able to see the joy in the trials when they first come. Our often, our, many times our troubles often seem to totally take away any thoughts of future joy. When it comes to trials, joy is the promise of Scripture. Read Philippians. Paul talks about joy more in that little book than he does just about any other place. And he was in jail at the time. Think about that. In jail, and he wrote more about joy than probably in any other, other books. Trials bring joy. Again, it takes a strong faith. But again, joy is the promise of Scripture. I mean, what an encouragement to all of us who are going to go through trials. 
And then the trial produced a chance for service. How many times have we prayed? Or maybe you've prayed, God, use me more. But then we sure don't expect or want God to answer our request with a trial. All right, I want to take you to the next level, but you know what? I got to take you this. It's more training. A.W. Tozer said something that is just so, you know, it's profound. God can't use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. God can't use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Many times we pray, here I am, Lord, use me. And many times our trial opens doors for service. The trial of the death of the widow's son gave Elijah a chance to serve in a great way. And what a service Elijah performed for God and this widow in, in, in taking her son and then praying for him to be restored. Elijah could have never served in this way if he hadn't been, if it hadn't been for this painful trial. Experiencing trials make it possible for us to help others in trial. It opens the door of service for us. And when I thought of this, I, I thought about my wife. Because when she was, we were going to the hospital for her chemo treatments, you know, as many know, you lose your hair. And there were many ladies in there that, you know, that, that weren't believers. And, and my wife never went there, oh, ho-hum or crying or any of those things. She went there with the eye of God. And I watched her and she, she was saying, you know what? I'm going to make hats for these ladies. I'm going to bring things to them to, to perk them up. You see, in her trial, she saw a, a chance to serve God. It wasn't, woe is me, oh, poor me. It's, you know what? what can I, how can I serve these ladies through my trial? She saw a chance to serve God. Though she was having, you know, chemotherapy is not fun. Yet she looked at it as a chance to serve those in that hospital that might need a touch of God. And see, that's what God wanted. That's what God taught her. That's what God teaches us through the trials. An opportunity to serve God. See, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us that we might comfort others. He comforts us that we might comfort others. Who can best do that? Somebody who's gone through what that person is going through. How can I minister when I, I, I don't know? God will take a Christian and, and allow that person to go through something that, because God's got a plan. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. She just got back from South America just this day after yesterday, Tuesday. Was gone for 21 days with uh, Sharon Reese and a bunch of the ladies from Golden Springs. And just she ran into many ladies over there who had cancer and was able to minister to them. God took her all the way 3,000 miles across the world to minister to probably some of these ladies. God knows what he's doing. There are no mistakes in the kingdom of God. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Elijah could have never served in the way that he had if he hadn't experienced his painful trial. 
And again, experiencing trials makes it possible for us to help others. It opens doors for service. So if you want to be busy for uh, serving God, don't be surprised if you experience a lot of trials. You're a prime target. You might as well hang a bullseye on your chest for the devil. Because he's coming after you. And I remember the story of a young pastor. And he was new in the ministry. And Satan was attacking him. And so he thought, well, I'm going to go to this, the minister across town. He's, been, he's a veteran minister. He's been serving the Lord for 30 years. And I'm going to go get his advice. And so he goes to the pastor and says, he says, you know, I, I know you've been serving the Lord for 30 years. And he says, you know, I'm just starting out and, 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 the, and the devil is just, you know, he's just attacking me. And I just thought I'd come for advice and, and, and ask you, how do you deal with it? And he said, son, I'm so tired of, of, of pastors coming to me and talking about devil, you know, hassling him. He says, son, the devil hasn't ha- hassled me for 30 years. And the young pastor said, well, sir, maybe you're walking in the same direction. You see, you put on that desire to serve God and walk with God, he's coming after you. That's why I said, if you're not having trials, I think I'd be more worried about that. Satan hates us when we get busy for God, when we're being effective in the kingdom of God. So if you want to be busy serving God again, don't be surprised if you experience a lot of trials. They qualify you. Trials qualify you to serve. They give you a chance to serve in a lot of ways. What if? Let's say Manny or myself, I thought about this this, this afternoon. If on the, I don't know if you guys fill out a ministry questionnaire when you want to serve. What if it said, you know, trial, uh, uh, you know, one of the qualifications for service is trials required. Would you sign up? You know? What if trials were a requirement for service? They are. God's word tells us. Would we qualify for the job? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As I said a while ago, how can we comfort others unless we have been comforted? God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to to be comforters. The trial produced evidence of profession. It separates the men from the boys. Trials. Elijah was known as a man of God. It was confirmed by the trial. Notice what verse 24 says as we close. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, notice, by this I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. You see, how you deal with trials witnesses to that person next to you. If we mope and complain and we have this long, sour face, what does that say about the God that we serve? Why would they want to come and meet your God? If you tell them about how God can get you through tough times and through trials, he promises to deliver us from all of our afflictions. And the way I carry myself sure doesn't say that. 
He was known as a man of God. The widow said, now buy this, what you've done. I know you're a man of God. The trial proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Elijah was a man of God. What do trials say about you and I? Do we claim to be a Christian? To the world, we might just be another religious person. That's kind of what they think. Until they see how we act under trial. A suffering trial. They might not say anything to you about being a Christian. But a trial is a very special test. It's a very severe test. It's the real proving ground. It separates professors from possessors of faith. Are we professors or possessors of faith? Anybody can act spiritual in good times, but when trials trials comes, it's a different story. This is where real Christianity shows up. So if you've been praying to be a better to be a better testimony to your friends, to your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, it just may be that God will send you trials. Because your afflictions will give you the chance to be a testimony for Jesus Christ in a very powerful way, a very clear and unmistakable way. And the world needs to see true examples of Christianity in the dark day of compromise and religious phonies that we're living in. Then the trial produced spiritual knowledge. Because of the trial, the widow was able to say to Elijah, the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Man, Elijah, the things that you said are true. She got some very valuable spiritual knowledge from this trial. First, the knowledge of of knowing who was a true servant of God, which is a valuable knowledge, especially when there's so many, again, religious phonies who take advantage of people's faith. Second, she gained the knowledge of the truth of the word of God, which is important knowledge to have if you're going to grow in faith. You see, our head can be crammed with all kinds of knowledge, but, but, but very little of it will be as valuable as the knowledge that this widow got from her trial. Trials have great value. They teach us important, needed, practical truths. And this world, in all of its knowledge, can't teach you these kind of great truths. David said in Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I may learn your statutes. That's how we learn God's word, through the trials. He said in Psalm 119.75, I know, Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So what great reasons for affliction. Trials are not a waste. They're not destructive. They're not a mistake. Trials produce some of the greatest blessings a man or woman can ever possess. Now, it's definitely not easy to understand it at the time. I'm not saying that. It's not easy to understand. But remember, God didn't call us to understand. He called us to believe. He called us to believe and to trust him. The truth is, during trials, it's very hard to see anything good for them. But I have to stand upon Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. We look at our purpose. God has a different purpose than ours. So according to his purpose, what he's doing in my life is for my good. Trials give us the chance to show more faith in the word of God. His word gives us tons of exhortations and examples of the results of trials in life. And if we think about it and we meditate more on these biblical exhortations and examples, we will react better in our trials and we will get more valuable blessings from them. 
The town that Elijah and the widow were in, remember back in verse 9, was Zarephath. The mean of the name Zarephath is very fitting for Elijah and the widow and their experience there. Because the meaning emphasizes that we have observed what we've observed about trials in this passage, and that is trials are good for us. They help us. They bless us. They strengthen us in the most important areas of our life. One commentator said the name Zarephath points to furnaces of workshops for refining of metals. Another commentator said the history of the name Zarephath indicates Zarephath, check this out, was a place for smelting metals. Arthur Pink adds that the name Zarephath means refining and it comes from a root that signifies a crucible. In other words, it was a place where metals are melted. So Zarephath, according to these meanings, was a place associated with refining. So church, God's going to send you to Zarephath. Be ready. It's a place of refining. And for Elijah and the widow, Zarephath was definitely a place of refining. God put their faith in the fiery furnace of trials. And sometimes, man, it looked like the fire would destroy their faith. But understand, God always has his hand on the thermostat. Always. He knows when to crank it up and he knows when to turn it down. But like the work of a smelting furnace on metal, the fire through which God put their faith didn't destroy their faith. It refined their faith. It purified their faith. It made them stronger, better, and more valuable. Elijah and the widow were better people as a result of their trial. And you know what? You and I will be too. That's God's purpose. Alan Redpath said this, Faith always works best in the context of desperation. When I'm at the end of my rope, I'm at the beginning of God. I'm on the verge of miracles. And lastly, remember that faith doesn't eliminate problems. Faith keeps you in a trusting relationship with God in the midst of your problems. And so my prayer has been, since Manny asked me to come and share, is that just like with our own church, people, man, they're going through it everywhere. Many are in Zarephath tonight. But you know what? God has a plan. God has a purpose. He hasn't just dumped you there. He's led you there. There's a difference. Just like when the Holy Spirit, we read led in, in Matthew 4.1, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be what? Tested. The Holy Spirit led him there. It wasn't the devil who, who drew him out there and, and, and put him. No, God took him to the desert wilderness to be tested. And if we don't have a faith that can't be tested, we don't have a faith that can be trusted. How important that is to God. That's why he tests our faith. He knows our faith. We might say we have faith. We know our heart, but people can't see our heart. They know our faith by what we do. How we live. They see our faith by our works. And one of the best ways is when I'm going through a trial, people are going to watch me. 
they're going to see how I, how I behave. And God is either going to be exalted or he's going to be given a black eye. So I pray that whatever you're going through, whatever it might come your way in the days ahead, that you remember this time, this study, and you'll highlight those things. Keep them handy so that you can go through them and just be encouraged by these things. Because as I said, it's not a matter of if, but when. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this awesome time with my brothers and sisters, Lord. And I know, God, that wherever we go, God, everyone is going through the fiery furnace, God. And I know that everyone, God, is going to experience, if not already, that place, Zarephath, in their life, God. And Lord, I do pray that, Father, if there's anybody here, God, that is maybe in Zarephath right now. And God, they feel like they've been maybe deserted or abandoned. Or Lord, they feel like it's like you've just randomly placed upon them things that are beyond them, God. Cancer or illness, God. Depression, a wayward child, God, a floundering marriage, the loss of a loved one, loneliness, lack of job, whatever it might be, God. I just pray for our brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. I pray they would be encouraged. I pray that they would understand you have not left them nor forsaken them. You've promised to be with them always to the end of the age, God. And so, Lord, I just pray for my brothers tonight, and I pray that they would leave here knowing, God, that, Father, you have led them to the place where they are right now. And, God, if you have led them there, then may they understand and know it's the best place they could be. Like David said, Lord, I'd rather be just a servant at the threshold of your house, Lord, than living in the wealthy tents of wickedness, God. Lord, if that's where you have me right now in the midst of trial and suffering, so be it. But you promise to deliver us from all the afflictions, God. May you strengthen us God, may you draw us close and may we understand, Lord, that you have a plan for us. Your thoughts of us are of good and not evil, God. That we would have a future and a hope. So that we just thank you for this time. May we rejoice in the God of our salvation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, you guys.